Greetings in the worthy name of Christ. Blessing to be in God's house with God's people tonight again. I trust we have been praying again and allowing God to open our hearts. I've got a handout sheet that I'd like to, uh, if the ushers would hand it out, go with the message tonight, make it clarified. It does for me anyhow. It's a subject that I love speaking on. Actually, I've taught it a number of years at the area-wide Bible school already. I've entitled the message, Revival and Separation, and uh, I wonder when the word separation, when you hear the word separation, what goes through our minds? Some of us, because of the background we come from, tend to think of perhaps black hats and broad fall pants and some things like that. We get a little scared about that, a little concerned about it. And uh, certainly that, that is separation. But uh, the issue of our clothing, separation and attire, is a very small, minute part in the doctrine of separation. There is so much more involved in the doctrine of separation, and there's no way we can cover everything tonight. I'd just like to give us the basic principles of what I believe God's Word teaches us about separation that will enable us to apply it in a practical way to our daily life. God is a, tonight as I was sitting here meditating, I was thought, this thought came to me that God is a God of separation, he's been in the separation business, if you want to say it that, the work of separation from the beginning of creation, the first day of creation, the scripture tells us, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. So already here we have a type of the work of God and the desire of God and God's knowing, and I believe God being the all-knowing God that he is, he knew that sin would enter into the world. And so this division of light from darkness is a type of God dividing sin from righteousness. And that's one of the burdens of my heart tonight, God's people. I believe God's heart is, as we read in the Sermon on the Mount, that God's desires that his children would continue to be a salt and a light. That is why he has put us here. Salt and light, why do you need it? Well, that, ought, that, that, that right away in our mind gives us the idea that we must be a light to something, a light to the darkness of sin around us. And last night, we looked from Romans and various other scriptures of the, the clear uh, teaching of, of our Adamic sin nature and the inherited sin that we have. So God's heart, God's burden, I believe, is that there will always be a consistent, vibrant, wit, vibrant witness in the world around us, a salt, a light in these last days that we live in. If we're not that salt and light, who will be? And I believe that is a very, a very valid question tonight, that who will be the salt and light? Who's going to carry and promote the work of God? You know, the world around us and even the professing Christianity, many of them are tired of their pseudo-Christianity, just the fake. It has no, no life, it has no hope, it has no, no strength to it. God's desires as his children, the separated ones, would be able to hold forth a clear vision 
of this salt and light. I believe it's like I said the first evening, or no, it's the second evening we talked on sound doctrine, that if we're going to live right, then we must believe right. And I believe this believing right is grounded in the word of God, not in the philosophies of man. Genesis 3.15 tells us this, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. This was the curse that God told Satan. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And I believe ever since this declaration, mankind has struggled to keep that line of distinction clear. The enmity between the serpent and the seed of woman. Struggling to keep that line clear as we think of the world around us and the focus of the world. To be in the world but not of the world is a challenge of the ages. Has been the challenge of God's people throughout time. God has placed us here for a reason. We're not here just to fill up space. You know, and as it relates to the thought of God in relation to separation, it is clear it is distinct. The line between right and wrong is just as clear as that line down the middle of that paper that you have. And the line in God's eyes is just as clear between righteousness and unrighteousness, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. I have a quote here from a, 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 a Mennonite man that has passed on to his reward. He says, once the incisive cutting edge of truth is dulled by compromise, the course of our churches will follow the sad patterns of the past. Holy God, save us from apostasy and preserve truth in our generation. And I believe one of the best ways to do that is to have a clear view of the doctrine of separation. Now we understand that if we're going to stand clearly on this, that we must understand that it is a biblical principle. And we as fathers and as leaders must be able to stand clearly on this principle if it is to be passed on to the next generation. Well, we go to our text here in 2 Corinthians 6. We have the text for separation here. You notice here as we read these four or five verses that in every verse pretty well there is separation made. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 14 to the end of the chapter. Be, not, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part is he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. We note here the Apostle Paul contending with the fact that there is absolutely nothing in common between the two kingdoms. They will not mix, they cannot mix. It is light on one hand and darkness on the other. It is Christ or Belial. There is no common ground between the two. It is righteousness and unrighteousness. It is the temple of God and the temple of idols. And God says, come out. Come out. Come ye out from among them and be ye separate. 
You know, when we consider, and, and, and I believe this, this message is a good message to follow the message that we had last night because we saw the plight of the wicked. We saw the, the wages of sin. And we saw, at least as, as well as our minds could comprehend and words could express, the wickedness of the world around us. As the scripture tells us, the whole world lieth in wickedness. And so here we live in the midst of them, but God has made a plan. And he has said, come out from among them. Don't be a part of them, but come out and be separated unto me. You see, it's not enough to only come out, but we must also be separated unto something, someone. And that is the blessing that we have tonight as we think of the doctrine of separation, that we are separated unto God, and that makes all the difference. That's, that's what makes the, the work of separation in our hearts rewarding, that because it, we are set apart with a special relationship to God and to Jesus Christ. We are set apart for his glory and his service. We have that well-known scripture in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. I thought I could quote it. But he says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Now in my youth, I didn't like to be a peculiar person. I didn't like to stand out from everyone else. But you know, it's really a blessing. It's a privilege that we have. The doctrine of separation is not a negative doctrine. It is positive in that we are set apart unto God. And where else would we rather be than to be in the kingdom of God and with God's people and with God's children? You know, we noted last night, just as a side note, we noted last night that who will spend eternity in the realms of darkness, in hell fire. And it will be all those that we want to stay away from in this life. You know, the wife beaters, the druggies, the homosexuals, the, the, uh, those people that have turned their backs to God. But you know, if we don't separate ourselves unto God in this life, we will spend an eternity with them in the life to come. And so in that sense, in eternity, we will appreciate that separation that God has provided for us. And I believe we ought to as God's children. If we don't appreciate it today, then we need a revival in that and a return to the appreciation of loving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that in itself will set us apart from the world that we have left behind. My burden of this message is that we learn to appreciate the doctrine of separation to the point where it becomes a conviction of the heart. And this conviction of the heart will become intertwined with the very fabric of our life, the very basis of our life, that all of our responses of life will respond out of that, where we no longer have this mentality that I have to do this or I have to do that to be separated from, but rather... The, 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 the burden and the fabric of our life needs to be that I want to do this because I am separated unto God. And I want nothing that will hinder that close and vital relationship with my God. I believe that's in essence, the essence of separation. Not everything I have to leave behind. You know, I don't look longing and back there because remember it brought no satisfaction. It brought no peace. It brought misery. We saw that last night. The misery of sin of everything we've left behind so we turn our back on and we focus on God. 
and we love God and we appreciate God and we want to do all we can for God. And that in itself will separate us unto him. Where we don't need to look back and look at everything we've left behind. That's the devil's focus after all. He wants us to see what all the flesh is missing out on. The foundation of separation, I believe we find here in 2 Corinthians. But also as we think of, of where separation began, you know, like I said, God throughout the scriptures separation. We noticed last night from Isaiah 14, I don't think we'll turn to that again now. But we notice there of how Satan aspired to be like God. He was one of, obviously one of God's high-ranking angels. And God had endued him with the power of choice as he did mankind and so he made that choice to rebel against God and challenge his position and the authority of God Almighty. And God said, with those attitudes, he has to go. Why could that not, why could he not stay there? Well, we noticed last night that God hates sin because of his holiness. And just as a further thought on that, Revelation 4, verse 8, it tells us, gives us here a scene of glory. And it tells us that the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And I've been told that whenever the, one of the attributes of God is repeated thrice, it is repeated for the emphasis of realizing that there is no greater attribute than that. Isaiah 6 would tell us the same where Isaiah saw that vision of God in all his holiness and splendor and glory. And the seraphims covered their faces with their wings. And they too, three times it mentions, holy, holy, holy. So I believe that this holiness of God is a perpetual cry in the heavens. No, we can't hear it with our little ears, but it's there, holy, 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 unceasing praise, unceasing reminders to the inhabitants of heaven that God is holy and the holiness of God will countenance no sin. So I believe that God's holiness is the most outstanding of his characteristics in his relationships with man. God's holiness defines his work with humanity. That is why God is merciful. That is why God is just. That is why God is long-suffering. That is why he is a God of judgment, is because of his holiness. He wants all mankind to come and experience that holiness in eternity with him. But we cannot unless we are pure and holy. And I believe that's why Lucifer was cast out of heaven. God's holiness will never coexist with pride, with arrogance, with position-seeking. He is sovereign. He reigns unchallenged. Then we notice in Revelation 12, verse 12, of how that woe unto the inhabitants of the earth because the devil has come down unto you with great wrath. And we noted how that Satan is angry at God. And because of that, he targets humanity with all his wiles of deception, trying to get us into his kingdom and keep us there. But remember, Satan never has interest in us. He never wants to make us happy as far as long-term happiness. The whole idea behind all the evil and heartache in the world today is Satan's revenge against God. And then we also notice from Romans 5 last night, the man's inherited sin. 
And because of that, we all have the sin nature passed upon us and we are all sinners by nature. We're all born into this kingdom of darkness, this kingdom of selfishness, of rebellion and darkness. And the point I'd like to stress again tonight is for us to realize that if we do nothing about that, we'll stay in there. We'll stay on this side. We'll stay in the kingdom of darkness. We must make a conscious choice to be transferred into the kingdom of light. And so we have the thought of God's holiness high in the heavens, high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy as the seraphims and the four beasts are crying even now, I believe. We have that contrasted with the depravity of the human heart and the sinful nature we have, and we see the vast difference between the two. And I believe that gives us again the basis of the separation principle. We notice here on your paper, let's notice the master of each. Let's contrast the two kingdoms. Like I said, I believe sometimes writing these things down and contrasting them, the light from the darkness helps us to grip, grasp it better. Satan is cast out of heaven. He is the ruler of the kingdom of darkness. He is a created being. He is cast out because of his pride. We notice that from Isaiah 14. I don't have those scriptures on your paper there. On the other hand, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I believe, is the ruler of the kingdom of light, God the Father as well as the Master, John 13, 13, and the Holy Spirit we know as a trinity from 1 Corinthians 3, 16 is there as well. Let's move on to the kingdom focus. So we know, we've got that clear, we know that, the master of each. Kingdom focus, kingdom of darkness, Ephesians 2, verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What is that? It's pride. It's me. It's my lust, my focus, myself, my gratification, my interests, my pride, me first. And we have that scripture from Isaiah 14. And it comes from the master of the kingdom of darkness where he said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the midst sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. We noted here five times I use that personal pronoun I. That is self-focus. That is pride. That is arrogance. That is gratification of my desires. That is the focus of the kingdom of darkness. Then we turn to the kingdom of light. The kingdom focus there from Ephesians 1 verses 5 and 6. Having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Oh what a blessing that is. You know the focus I believe of the kingdom of light is to be concerned about bringing glory to Christ. I want no praise, I want no honor, I want no glory to myself. We can't handle it. We can't handle it. Do we know that? Do we realize that as human beings? We cannot handle the praise and the honor and glory of man. 
It makes us proud, and we know that pride is a sin in the sight of God. And then we also have the scripture in Philippians 1, verse 20, the last part. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Notice it says Christ to be magnified in my body. So that means what I wear, where I go, and what I do. Christ is to be magnified, not self. Would that make a difference how we attire our bodies, do you think? If we would keep that focus in front of our eyes at all times. Would that make a difference of the decisions and choices that I made today? The decisions and choices that I'll make tomorrow as we clarify the kingdom focus of both kingdoms. One is everything must bypass me and the glory go to God. When people see me, it makes them thirsty for God as a salt. Thirsty for God as a light. They look at us as God's children and they see that like the story you hear sometimes of children that have been evidently taught a little about God but have never seen a Christian. And this Christian man or woman comes up and knocks on the door and the little boy runs back in and says, Mama, Jesus is at the door. It's because they saw someone that reminded them of Christ. Little Christs. That's what Christians are. So the kingdom focus again. It entails all of our life. All of our life. Do I do it for pride, for self-glorification, for gratification of my desires, for people to notice me? You know, we have our reward, the scripture tells us. I believe God's heart is that we would be separated unto him. Stop before you make a decision and a choice and ask the question, which focus will it be for? Which kingdom is in focus? When I go to Walmart, when I buy my car, when I run my business, I believe those are valid questions we must ask if we are to be a salt and a light. You know, again, true freedom is found in focusing on what we are separated unto rather than what I have to leave behind. You know, so many times we hear the statement, well, I'm not allowed to do this. The church doesn't let me. The par my parents won't let me. What about getting God's focus? Won't the separated heart, as we focus on the, the, the kingdom focus, won't the separated heart ask the question, will this represent the kingdom of God better in my life? I believe it will. Instead of asking what's wrong with it, we ask the question, how will this represent the kingdom of God? Kingdom methods then. We notice that in the dark side, the darkness of the, kingdom of, of the kingdom of darkness, the method of the master is that he comes as a roaring lion, as a roaring lion, scaring, pressuring us into sin, making us think that everyone else is doing it. That's part of the work of the roaring of the lion, that he, that he scares us and pressures us. Well, everyone else is doing it. Why can't I? Or, as 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, I think we ought to turn to that. <clears throat> it tells us that false apostles, talking about the false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. 
And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And this, this concept of, of the angel of light is that he is deceptive, he is subtle, he blinds the minds, he mixes truth with untruth. And it takes a discerning heart to know the difference. It takes a heart separated unto God to know the difference. Angel of light uses scripture to entice us as he did Jesus. And I believe in short, the focus or the, the, the tactic, the methods of the master of the kingdom of darkness is that he uses any subtle way he can to try to deceive us, to try to get us to see that it's okay to stay in his kingdom. He doesn't want us to see the payday of living for sin. He doesn't want us to see the payday of the wages of sin. So he uses deception. He scares us. He pressures us. He intimidates us. He uses even truth, half-truths, to try to get us there. He'll even try to deceive the strongest Christian, the Bible tells us. And it's all because he hates us. Or he hates God and he's taking it out on us. Well, praise God that the king, the kingdom of light is not that way. But we notice here that the methods of the kingdom of light, as we turn to Matthew eleven twenty-eight, we have that well-known scripture of the way God works to get, king, to get children or people into his kingdom. And remember, we're all in the kingdom of darkness side. And so what does God use? How do we get over there? Well, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We notice that he draws us to himself. He promises peace, rest, and contentment. He doesn't pressure us, but he just draws us by the work of his spirit. Promising rest to our doubting soul. Promising rest to the restless. And when we found rest for the laboring conscious, conscience, we want to stay under that umbrella. We want to stay on his side, do we not? So he draws us. And then we also have 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 1, he says, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. So we also notice that he doesn't force his way into our heart, but he is gentle, and he continually speaks to our hearts through the still, small voice. What a difference, again, what a vast difference between the two. Yearning, drawing, allowing us to make the choice. Whereas the kingdom of darkness uses a lot of pressure. Now we move on to the kingdom fruit. And you can look these scriptures up. There's more of them. I just listed them there to again help us visualize and grasp the vast difference between the two fruits. On the kingdom of darkness we have all those things. A lot of them we read last night as we think of the works of sin. But if you notice, these kingdom fruits are a result of the kingdom focus. The self-focus, the me, myself, pride, gratification of my desires. That's the fruit of it. 
Do we want to be there? Do we want to stay there? Of course not. And then we compare the list with the kingdom of light. And we notice again the kingdom fruit. There is a result of bypassing the praise and glory we get and sending it to God. And living a life that reminds others of Christ. Where we have the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And we also have faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. Vast difference between the two. Do we understand why there is perpetual conflict between the two kingdoms? It's because, beloved, they're heading two opposite directions in life. It is absolutely impossible to straddle the fence as we often try to with one foot in the world and one foot with Christ. We can't do it. The line of demarcation is clear. It is black and white. The focus is different. The methods are different. The fruit is different. It is impossible to travel both directions at one time. There are two different goals as well. Now look at the kingdom subjects. Those that are in these kingdoms, the subjects, the people. Well, we have from the kingdom of darkness, but the fearful and unbelieving from Revelation 21.8, and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I believe when we stay in the kingdom of darkness, we experience, I have there, an all-inclusive relationship. All those who are not, who have not made the positive choice to be a part of the kingdom of light are in the kingdom of darkness. And that includes, like I have on the bottom there, the good moral man. Those people that have never surrendered their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ are still a part of the kingdom of darkness. They are the subjects there. It's the all-inclusive ones. They will suffer. The good moral man will suffer damnation right alongside the drunkard, the immoral, the drug addict, and all those who despise God. By contrast, the kingdom of light experiences only the chosen few, only those who are chosen by him, the exclusive ones, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous life. Peculiar or purchased is what that means. To be separated unto God gives us an exclusive relationship. Remember we noted that one evening before here that exclusive means there is room for no one else. Only God and his children... We are not as those on the other side that have no purpose, no hope, and no direction in life. But as the exclusive sons and daughters of his, there are only those who enter in through the door. It is the, they are the saints, the godly in Christ, the obedient, those that obey the word of God. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about there's two differing views of separation as well. <clears throat> there is a cultural separation and there is a biblical separation. And I believe this is probably one of the reasons we sometimes get this so mixed up and we're, why, why, why it leaves kind of a sting or a bad taste in our mind is because that we have seen 
cultural separations and the hypocrisy that brings. And so we tend to run away from it and want nothing to do with anything about separation. Cultural separation is where we live a lifestyle that is different and peculiar, at odds with the society surrounding them. Great care is given to the details, yet the heart remains untouched. The heart is still carnal, self-serving, selfish. The heart is still everything that the kingdom of darkness notes there with fruits of carnality and immorality and fleshly lusts and materialism. But outwardly, everything looks right as far as separation goes. And I've been told that back in the, I'm thinking it was the 12th, 13th centuries especially, where the state churches, the basically only religion was, religion was Catholicism, and the, the, the general people got so tired and fed up with the religion of the day because the men and women that looked like they were to be the godly, the ones that led them, were of the most corrupt there were, with immoral actions, and it was not unusual for nuns to bear babies and things like that from the priests. And I've heard the same is true in some, old, in some, some darkened settings of some old order communities where there is, where there is no, no where, where there's just a strictly a cultural separation, especially in one area. I've heard that the local police officers have more problems with drunkenness and violence at the bar with the plain people than they do with the populace, with the regular people in the community. And that depicts very clearly this cultural separation where outwardly we trust in these outward things, but inwardly our hearts are just as deceived, just as sinful, just as black as anyone living in the gutters of sin. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Jesus repeatedly condemned the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, and I believe that, that we can, any one of us, can slip into this cultural separation where we think that if we get the exterior right, everything else will be okay. But we must remember that the true biblical separation focuses on the difference and not the distance that we can place ourselves from the world around us. You know, well, let's just separate ourselves and move way back in somewhere and live like hermits. You can still live a sinful lifestyle like that. I believe God's heart of separation is that there is a difference, a clear, distinct difference in the kingdom fruit. It's not necessarily that you have to go back and live somewhere away. The differing, the defining difference, biblical separation, and let me repeat, focuses on difference, not distance. This cultural separation thing, I believe God detests it. Because it is a profession without the power to live in victory and in holiness. And sad to say, the hypocrisy of many cultural separatists have turned too many people away from a walk of discipleship. Well, biblical separation, and that's my burden tonight. We must understand again that biblical separation is a transforming of the heart and mind. The process of how we come to biblical separation is through repentance. God gives us the miracle of a new heart. 
Let's turn to Acts 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. This was the, in the sermon here, I believe, that Peter preached. We notice here the repentance is man's part. We must repent of our sinful lifestyle. We must repent of living in the kingdom of darkness. And then that conversion where God gives us a new heart is the work of God after we have repented. And that is what it takes the repentance, the process of salvation in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 then, is a good expression of what happens after God has changed our heart. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And does that not aptly describe, and I trust every one of us here, Tonight, that have experienced the salvation of God in our hearts can relate to this scripture. That we remember the wonderful feeling, the exhilaration we had when the old things were left behind. And behold, all things were new. And now, we had a heart that was changed, that no longer wanted the old stuff, but now wants to live for God. Let's turn to Romans 12, verse 2. And we'll understand how this is to work and how this is to transpire in our lives. I believe it's a daily progressive experience that we must allow God to continue that work in our life daily. We change our mind about sin. Again, it takes us from the I'm not allowed to mentality to the mentality that I don't want to. You know that we must get that right. That that is the essence of the changed heart. And here in Romans 12, verse 2, he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Understand this word transform comes from the root word metamorpho, which we understand to be metamorphosis, where the butterfly, the, the lowly worm caterpillar crawling on the ground goes through this metamorphous process, metamorphosical process however you say that word, process, where he hatches out of his cocoon and now he's a butterfly. There's a striking alteration, a striking difference between that caterpillar to the butterfly. And that describes redemption. That describes salvation in Christ. That describes this metamorphosis that we must experience, this conversion of a new heart where we have new desires and new goals and new ambitions in life. What happens? What's wrong, do you think, with a person that professes to have had this experience but still has the old desires? We see that sometimes, do we not? Well, the scripture tells us here that we must, we become transformed by the renewing of our minds. And here's what the original I understand means. From the renewing of the mind, it means the adjustment of the moral and spiritual vision and thinking to the mind of God. So, that again coincides with what we have here. We are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. We are no longer thinking about myself. 
and what I want to do and what pleases the flesh. But now, through this transformation that takes place in our life initially, and I believe it is a progressive transformation and sanctification as well, that we must continually experience this renewing of the mind where we adjust our moral and spiritual vision to the mind of God. And that's basically agreeing with God on the sin question, on the sin issue. We don't want to do it anymore because God says it's sin. I don't want to follow the flesh anymore. I don't want to dress myself in a way that everyone notices me because that's not the way God thinks. God says it must bypass me and my life must glorify Him in whatever I do or say. So that is what, in short, what is entailed by this renewing of the mind that we must adjust our spiritual vision and thinking to the mind of God. And when our thinking is adjusted to the mind of God, it transforms our life. It transforms our life. Think about it. Areas in our life. I know we live in the flesh. I know we fail at times. And when we do, we're back on the kingdom of darkness side. And we need to repent of it. We need to ask God for forgiveness. But I have found in my own experience that as we continually work at that, renewing my mind to the mind of God, thinking like God. You know, we talked the other evening about the moral depravity of man and the moral issues that especially us as men are, are prone to. And those temptations come to me as well as anyone else. And whenever it does, I have a choice to allow them to take root in my life or to allow the renewal of the mind to say, no, that's not what God wants. I renew. I'm thinking in the mind of God. I'm, my thinking needs to be adjusted to the mind of God. God says it's sin. God says it'll bar me from heaven's door. So I reckon with that. And, and the same is true for all the other temptations that you and I face. Revival and separation. I believe, therefore, you know, the, the, the question is, yes, the old temptations bother us. They come back to us. But the better we're doing at the renewal of the mind, the transformation, that renewal of the mind, the better we're doing it, adjusting our mind to think like God thinks, the less, the, te the less intense the temptations will come to us. I've experienced that in my own life, and I'm sure you have as well. So they still tempt us, but we continually adjust our minds to the mind of God. We don't yield. And I believe that's the essence of separation. A heart separated unto God. I don't want to yield. I don't want to contaminate my pure mind and heart by the things of this world. Who's winning the battle in your life tonight? Which side are you on? Therefore, I believe biblical separation starts in our hearts with a renewed heart and works itself to the outside where faith and obedience become a practical way of life. And yes, we will be separated outside as well. But it starts on the inside and works itself to the outside because God asks us to live a separated life. We don't separate ourselves outside and then hope the heart changes. No, we work at the heart first. 
Biblical separation again starts with a renewed heart, works itself to the outside where faith and obedience become a practical way of life. And that issues into practical issues of separation where I believe a heart that is sensitive to God won't have to be told all the time what to do to stay separated. I believe a heart that is separated unto God will have that as the highest priority. And yes, we have blind spots. We need help from each other. Separation in heart. This is a foundational study for our lives. I believe it affects every area and every aspect of our lives. Every positive or negative experience that we have in life results from the, lack, from the choices we make, either good or bad choices. And the way we're making our choices has a lot to do with how we view the separation issue. I believe the way we make our choices come back and rest on the foundation of my personal commitment of separation unto God. It includes the friends I choose, whether I choose the sincere and mature or the light-hearted and immature. It includes the job I choose, the vehicle I choose to drive, the type of clothes I wear, my speech, what I do with my free time, my money, even the church I choose, I believe, is a direct result of my view of separation unto God. Tonight I ask us the question again, which fruit is being produced in our life? Which kingdom are we in? And I'd like to turn to John 15, verse 19, in closing here. And like I said, it's a vast subject. There's much more that can be said. And I believe that if we're interested in furthering this study of separation in our life, you can go through the scripture, and we have separation in attire as a scriptural principle. And you can make a list of the interests of the kingdom of darkness and the separation of attire and the kingdom of light. There is a separation in worship we can look at, how the kingdom of darkness worships, how the kingdom of light worships. There is a separation of church and state, and there is a separation of trying to remember, i preached numerous messages already on them, what they all are. There's probably a dozen or more, and, and I have not exhausted. There's a separation in social life. There's a separation in our home life. There's a separation in our business life. How the kingdom of darkness views business versus how the children of God view business. You know, and the list goes on and on, and we can portray the differences there. But tonight from John 15, verse 19, Verse 18 of the world hates you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. These is Jesus' words. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Do we cringe at the hate of the world? We shouldn't. You know, because we really don't belong there. We are so different. We are so different because we are kingdom of light servants so let's not be surprised if the world hate us we don't belong here anyhow don't try to get the world to love you it won't work it won't work separate unto God what a blessing that will be in eternity we're looking forward to that but beloved there's a blessing here tonight to be separated unto God and that is the blessing of a heart at rest peace and joy satisfaction, fulfillment, and the list goes on. And also another one of those blessings of being separated unto God is the blessing of fellowship with other separated ones. And we can travel the world over and find brethren and sisters.
that we can be blessed with as we fellowship and share together. May God bless us as we continue to be revived in from the heart out on this doctrine of separation. I think we'll just open the meeting up if anyone has any testimony.